Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. So great to have you here with us on this Friday, February 17th, 2023. Here we are with Lockdown Blue Devils, a daily podcast devoted to everything going on in the life of Duke athletics. I want to give a shout out to the Duke baseball team as opening day has finally arrived for the start of the NCAA baseball season. On today's show, however, I'm so fired up to chat with my good pal, Brendan Marks of The Athletic. We're going to talk about the final stretch of games coming up for John Shire and company. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast for free wherever you get your podcast. You can leave us a five-star rating and review. Watch the show daily on YouTube by hitting that subscribe button as well. And, uh, yeah, continue to support us here at Lockdown Blue Devils. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore and the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. So without further ado, let me bring on my good pal Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, so great to see you as always. Thanks for coming back on the program. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. We got to squeeze one more in for the regular season. Exactly. I mean, it's it's quick how fast the end of the year is approaching. Just five games left in the regular season for Duke. Uh, had a rocky last week or so, uh, but able to get back in the winning column on Tuesday against Notre Dame. Let's go back to, to last Saturday's game as we kind of set up our conversation for this Saturday's game against Syracuse. What in the world happened there between Duke and UVA? Uh, an absolute mess is what happened. <laughs> yeah, listen, like I, I think uh, obviously everybody knows that um, by now the ACC came out after the fact and said essentially at the end of regulation between Duke and Virginia, like we met messed up our bad um and unfortunately uh for duke there's there's no appeal there's no changing the result there's no uh undoing the moment it just sort of is what it is and you got to send the loss which is tough for john shire's team but um everybody wants to focus on that they don't want to focus on duke having 22 turnovers that was the second straight game with more than 20 they don't want to focus on allowing 42 points in the paint so uh obviously that was not the only thing that contributed to duke's loss but um Man, what a what a weird situation that was, and uh, certainly was not what I was expecting going into Charlottesville. Right. I, I mean, Filipowski's held scoreless in that one. Derek Whitehead returns from injury and was uh, really productive. That was by far, I think, Jacob Grandison's finest game in a Duke uniform against Virginia a week ago. And, and yet here we are talking about kind of the no foul call at the end. If you are the ACC. Why issue is this this level of accountability, Brendan? That's what I'm trying – because you're right. It's not like we're going to say, all right, send everybody back to uh, Charlottesville, Filipowski on the line for two, no time on the clock for a chance to win the game. Why bring it up at this point almost? Yeah, I I think you probably need a little more broader context to understand that. I I think this is sort of that – that was the tipping point almost. It was the accumulation of officiating – I don't want to say controversy, but sure. officiating being in the mainstream news cycle when obviously if you're the ACC, you don't want that to be the case. You want your product to be that. You want the basketball to be the focus. And, uh, you know, between sort of what had happened, um, you know, there were a couple of situations. You had the Filipowski situation at the end of the Virginia Tech game. You had um, the end of North Carolina Syracuse where a very controversial call was called. You had uh, Duke women's coach Carol Lawson saying that, her team in Florida state had played with the men's ball. Then you had this, like 
it was not an isolated incident. And so I think you sort of take those all together. And if you're the ACC, you go, look, we got to, we got to own up. We got to really just sit on this. And, um, you know, the other fact of the matter is I do feel like officiating more broadly has been under the microscope this whole season, you know, not just in the ACC, but across the country, it's been a big focus looking at officiating schedules and our officials too overworked and, you know, should these guys be working 11 games in 11 cities in 11 days? And um, it's a tough deal. But, you know, I, I, I'm i sure that it is frustrating for John Shire and company, you know, seeing them in the immediate aftermath Saturday. They were certainly frustrated. That's probably putting it mildly. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think that there is there is something you take away from the ACC owning that. Um, we'll see what that means moving down the road. If there's yeah. any changes down the road, then there's only so much that a, a hollow statement of accountability really matters for Brendan, it's just so tough because, you know, I'm also reminded of what we saw this past weekend, not only on Saturday, but on Sunday at the end of Super Bowl 57 with people wanting to know on the holding call at the end of the game there in the defensive backfield. Enviable is never a word you hear when talking about the career of officiating, right, and people actually wanting to go and do that. It is just so tough, man, because we keep having instances like this pop up. How often do you hear somebody say after a big game, man, you know, the officials were great. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't. Yeah. You never do. And so, yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me this week, well, if there's this shortage on refs and if, you know, if refereeing is, is such a highly paid, you know, thing, which to be fair, you know, netting multiple thousands of dollars in a single night is, is an attractive proposition. Um, Would you want to be one of these guys? Would you (laughs) want to be in that spotlight? I don't think that I would. So um, yeah, you know, ultimately the human element of sports is something that happens. And, um, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm speaking to a Duke podcast now. Duke is not going to get any national sympathy for this. Sure. Um, but, you know, it, it sort, of, sort of is part of playing the game. You know, that there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be times when things aren't followed to the letter of the law. And, you know, if you're Duke, you can't just like marinate in this. You have to move forward because, you know, the rest of the regular season is still going to happen. You're still going to play those games and, and they matter, you know, just as much as what happened in Charlottesville. So where is Duke right now, we ask, as we get set for these last five games of the regular season ahead of the ACC tournament, ahead of the NCAA tournament. And, of course, Duke is hopeful that they will get an opportunity to compete in the big dance. So if you're watching us on YouTube, Locked On Blue Devils, make sure you subscribe there once again. We've got the standings pulled up here, Pitt and Virginia. Everybody saw Pitt up there <laughs> uh, with a 12-3 and three mark thus far in the ACC. But really tell me, Brendan, where are the Duke Blue Devils in the conference with five games left to go? Yeah, so, you know, as you can see, and I love that you're able to pull this up for your, for your YouTube uh, viewers, Duke is right there in the competition for a double bye. Like, by no means is the top four of the ACC settled, but as you can still see there, there's some work for Duke to do. And, you know, having some slip-ups in these next couple of games – especially against the teams they're going to be playing against. You look who's right there on their heels. You know, you've got Syracuse, you've got North Carolina. Um, So you've got, you know, obviously Louisville down at the bottom of the standings there, (laughs) but uh, Duke, I think at this point is, is pretty solidly, you know, from the ACC perspective, obviously they're not going to be playing on Tuesday at this point. It's seeing, can we go on a little bit of run? Can we have some fortuitous circumstances around the league to where we get to a double buy? regardless of that, Duke fans don't have anything to worry about for the NCAA tournament. Duke has the resume in that respect. Um, could things get murky if Duke loses the rest of its games out? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but barring something unforeseen like that, you know, assuming, uh, you know, taking care of business against a team like Louisville, taking care of, the, you know, the Florida States and whatever, um, 
that that is going to be a situation where Duke is going to be in the field. We'll see what seed they are. Could be anywhere from a six to a 10, depending on how things shake out. But I think the thing, if you're a Duke fan that you're more encouraged by, and it's not necessarily these specific ACC standing, it's not looking at the NCAA picture. It's the fact that I think John Shire's done a pretty good job of getting his team where he said he wanted it to be here in late February, which is still on the upward trajectory. The arrow was still pointing up for Duke. Uh, and especially as we saw against Notre Dame, we saw it against, you know, you mentioned a little bit about Charlottesville. Dariq Whitehead coming back really raises the ceiling for this team. And I'm sure you and I will get more into his impact. But um, if you're John Shire, you've got a team that is finally starting to get healthy, a team that has finally got all of its pieces, and, and a team that looks like it still has another gear that can reach. If I'm a Duke fan, you know, maybe I'm not super happy that we don't have that double buy. Maybe I'm not happy that we're not going to be playing in Greensboro the first round of the tournament. Um, but the fact that we're playing our best basketball right now and the fact that we're still ascending, uh, I, I like the hope of where this team can go over the next couple of weeks. Again, you take a look at the ACC standings, Virginia and Pitt right there at on the top uh, with Miami barking at their heels. The Hurricanes and the Panthers have won five and six games consecutively. They're on a big tear there. Uh, but you look at what Duke's got coming up at Syracuse this weekend uh, and then three straight home games for the Blue Devils. And once again this season – Duke has really enjoyed playing basketball inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. I'm sure that's shocking to many, uh, but uh, Brendan, that, that's key for Duke, these uh, next big stretch of games all being at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you look at, you know, those are not necessarily gimme games either. Like, obviously, Louisville is what it is, but, you know, you're talking about a pretty good Virginia Tech team. I know they're down there in the standings, had some, you know, injuries earlier in the year and some absences. Virginia Tech as a team that has had Duke's number the past couple of years. They're a really good squad. Mike Young does good things. So getting them at home, I think, is a big help. And, um, you know, I'm fascinated to see it's it's two very different road games that Duke does have left at Syracuse at North Carolina. Um, you know, that last one especially, I think, is going to be fascinating because at that point, it's very feasible that North Carolina is playing for its NCAA tournament hopes. Um, you know, not to focus on the team eight miles down the road, but uh, – <laughs> The Tar Heels are struggling. They're in the danger zone right now. And, and Duke is going to enter that game with an opportunity to, A, upend senior night, and B, potentially put another dagger into North Carolina's NCAA tournament resume. So it's going to be a really interesting next stretch of games, but having those couple at home is certainly a big help for a team that thus far has sort of struggled on the road. Syracuse, the focal point for Duke right now. They'll take on the Orange tomorrow. We're going to preview that game and talk about the Duke basketball team, the players that will make an impact on the floor, and we'll do that after our first time out here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. Locked On Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. What an exciting weekend we've got ahead of us here with it being NBA All-Star Weekend. It's the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, three-pointers drained. There are odds right now for the three-point contest that's taking place this weekend. Can Mac McClung win the slam dunk title? All those odds found online with our buddies at FanDuel. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
Welcome back into Locked On Blue Devils here today. JJ Jackson alongside my pal Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, I mentioned we've got this Duke and Syracuse game coming up this weekend. We also have NBA All-Star Weekend. Later tonight, we'll see several former Blue Devils play in the uh, Rising Stars game. And then uh, significantly on Sunday, three Dukies named starters in the NBA All-Star game when you look at Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, and uh, Kyrie Irving. The Brotherhood still has a, a big-time footprint on the NBA. Yeah, I'd say that's a decent little trio right there. <laughs> Kyrie, Zion, and Tatum. I, would, yeah. I, would, I mean, actually, you know, that would make for one heck of a three-on-three team. Yeah, um, no kidding. Jesus, yeah, I feel like I feel like Duke is single-handedly supplying the Rising Stars <laughs> game every single year, so this is no different. I love that. All right, so let's talk about Syracuse, the opponent coming up for Duke this weekend. Uh, obviously, Jim Beheim has been there forever. We're used to uh, these Syracuse teams playing that zone defense, several guards back that Duke has seen over the last few seasons. But what's a little bit different about this year's Duke squad is their inability to consistently knock down three-point shots. How in the world does Duke attack Syracuse on the offensive end of the floor when three-point shooting hasn't been the strongest point for Duke? Yeah, ha- hasn't been the strongest point at all. Uh, has, has actually been a, a pretty significant weakness. But yeah. that is why I mentioned this guy earlier, and I think that he is someone who sort of changes the trajectory of what is possible for Duke. It's Derek Whitehead. You know, on the year now, he's shooting close to 40%. Obviously, we've seen in the two games he's been back since being hurt. Turned uh, into a marksman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he loves those corners. Yeah. And, and Duke needed that more than anything. And so I think that obviously he's going to be a key part of the recipe against Syracuse offensively. You want him as a guy who, um, you know, it's so funny because he was not considered a, a you know shooter by any means coming out of high school, was very much more known as a slasher. And has developed that skill set, you know, to to his credit. So especially with all the injuries, I think that he's going to be a key factor offensively. I think Jeremy Roach is going to have to knock down some threes. I think there's going to be opportunities for Tyrese Proctor as well. And the last guy who I think is incredibly important is Kyle Filipowski, right at the center of that zone. He is sort of an ideal zone breaker, uh, you know, posting up sort of there at the top of the top of the elbow free throw line area. He has the shooting touch from that range where it shouldn't be a problem. Also has the ability and the aggressive to be able to go inside when he needs to. So I think those are sort of the guys I look at offensively. Um, But really, you know, as we said, this is not a great three-point shooting team for Duke. This is a Syracuse team that's going to test him in that regard. It's not a great three-point shooting team on the road, especially. Uh, You know, one of these things is going to have to break. It's like a movable force meets unstoppable object or whatever it is. Duke is going to have to make some shots to beat the Orange, and I do think they have the personnel to do so. It's just a matter of those shots actually going down or not. Uh, Again, the numbers for Duke, you can look at them on the screen if you're watching on YouTube here. From the three-point line, we're seeing Dariq Whitehead right now in the season, 40.3%. From three-point distance, Mark Mitchell is still there hovering at the 40% mark. Had a big one against Notre Dame to kind of seal that. Tyrese Proctor, his three-point numbers continue to climb up after being down towards that 22-23% range. But then to the contrary, as you mentioned, Kyle Filipowski, Brendan, his three-point numbers have tailed off a significant amount uh, these last few weeks. He's down to 27.5% shooting from three-point range. Yeah, he's he's been struggling a little bit. And, you know, obviously the Virginia game is going to be a big part of that. You know, goose eggs are, are never going to help the scoring averages. <laughs> uh, but for him, I, I – that. 
he does not have to be shooting the three effectively to be a difference maker for Duke. Obviously, that is like the best and most actualized version of him. That's the version that NBA teams are going to want to see. Sure. He can still be really effective, especially in this game against Syracuse, like I mentioned, as a zone breaker on the inside of everything. Especially with the height that he has, you're able to present entry passes into the center of that zone in different ways than you would for a guy who's even, you know, 6'9", 6'7", like, him being a legitimate seven footer allows you to have a lot more passing leeway. And, and he's a good passer out of the center of that zone too. Like just his combination of skill and size right there, I think is going to be really effective for Duke. And um, he can hit guys, you know, if teams, if, if Syracuse at any point does collapse him there in the center of the zone, he has the wherewithal to kick it out to Roach or to Proctor or to Whitehead or Mitchell, whoever it may be. Um, and then again, it comes down to those guys making shots. I, I really cannot emphasize enough how much Dariq Whitehead developing into a consistent three-point shooter changes the gravity of Duke's offense. Teams, you know, Syracuse is wonky because of the zone, obviously, but when he is out there normally, teams aren't able to do some of the defensive things they want to because they have to respect him in that way. And uh, I'm sort of fascinated to see what his presence means for Duke's offense overall over these last couple of weeks of the regular season. So a good focus there on three-point shooting, and rightfully so with uh, Dariq Whitehead's improvements. And then also, again, that's what you do against these zones. Uh, but Duke has been a really good team scoring in the post. We've talked a lot about Ryan Young's impact on the season thus far. Uh, has it played as many minutes over the last few weeks as Derek Lively continues to be more and more impressive? So the bigs in particular, the post game points in the paint, what does that look like for a matchup like this? Yeah, it's interesting against the zone, right? Because obviously yeah. Syracuse is designed to stop the penetration. And yeah. especially given Duke's perimeter woes, which I think we've you know hit at multiple times here, uh, that's all Duke wants to do. They want to throw bodies at the rim. They want to get you in foul trouble. And so I'll be interested to see what that looks like. The other thing that's worth noting here is I think we're probably getting the two best shot blockers in the conference going against each other and Lively and Jesse Edwards. I'm interested to see how on the defensive end of things lively adapts with a guy who has, you know, similar length and athleticism that he does. Um, but yeah, you know, in the long term, you know, again, the Syracuse game is sort of stands alone just because of what they want to do defensively, but you know, lively's impact in terms of being a, a deterrent. Um, you know, I think he's up to top five nationally in shot percentage now that he has played enough minutes and is becoming more of a consistent factor. You really can't understate how important that is. And, you know, not to say that I doubted John Shire, but <laughs> but at the start of the year when he says, okay, you know, I'm building this team on defense, which is something that he had been telling myself and other reporters since June. I'm building this on defense. I'm building this on defense. And then Derek Lively starts out and he can't stay on the floor because he's fouling so much. You sort of go, all right, John, like, <laughs> you know, where, where is this going? Um, and, and finally, you've sort of seen his vision for what they could be defensively actualized. Mark Mitchell, I don't think it's nearly enough credit as a defender. He's a guy who, you know, for my for my money, deserves to be in the all-ACC defensive consideration. Um, I think he'll get votes to be on that team. He's been that good. Um, but Lively especially has been the centerpiece of what Duke wants to do on that end. And, you know, he finally looks like the sort of difference maker that he was hailed as as a recruit. And there's a reason now why you're starting to hear more buzz about him as a potential first-round pick. What's the difference? I mean, you, we talk about that game, obviously, against North Carolina to have – four points, but 14 rebounds, eight block shots, a dominant performance from Lively when Duke needed it most. What has been the difference then? 
There's a couple of specific things. It's a great question, first of all. So, you know, it's a lot of specifics and things that people probably don't give enough credence to. Number one, this is a guy who is on the leaner side. So number one, he just needed to get bigger. He needed to get into the weight room. He needed to get more comfortable with college physicality. He needed to have a situation where he's not getting pushed over by Emil Jefferson in practice, you know, and that's something that takes some time. This is a guy who, you know, hadn't played against that level of competition before. So I think that's a big part of it. In lockstep with that is the idea of how physical you are allowed to be and what physicality is legal and what physicality is not. That I think, and and this is something that Duke's other bigs, especially Ryan Young, have, have really sort of drilled home to me when we've been in the open locker room with them after games is Lively has this crazy athleticism and he sees, you know, how physical Ryan can be at times. Didn't necessarily know specifically, okay, when, when do I have to be straight up? When am I allowed to bump guys? When am I allowed to use my elbows and my shoulders a little bit more? When am I able to use my hips and my butt a little bit more? I think that's been really big for him. Um, and that's why I think you've seen sort of a decrease in the fouls. I think that's why you've seen his rebounding increase. The other thing is just understanding what it takes at this level against guys who either A, are going to be you know stronger than you, or B, who are at least as strong, if not bigger than you. The Armando Baycott situation against North Carolina is a great example. If you let Armando Baycott catch the ball on the block, and this is like a very minute defensive detail for big men. If you let him catch the ball on the low block right next to the basket, you're done. Yeah. You got no hope. This guy <laughs> is too polished. He's too, he's too much of a pro to be able to stop him in that situation. You're either going to allow the, bus, the basket or you're going to foul him or worst case scenario, both. The difference is if you make him catch it eight feet away from the basket, 12 feet away from the basket, 15 if you can, then all of a sudden you're asking him to back you down. You're asking him to do so when Duke can send a double, when Duke can feign a double, when uh, he has to have a better grip of his handle for longer. He has to have his footwork. You are widening the window from which he can make a mistake. Rather than giving him the easy, automatic catch, spin, go up, All of a sudden, you're making him think through and you've turned what sometimes around the basket can be a two-step process into a 10 or a 15-step process. That is something that Derek Lively did not know coming into college that he does now. And so you put all those things together. You put in time in the weight room. You put in time with Ryan Young. You put in learning about what fouls you can and can't commit, what physicality is allowed. And lastly, just learning some of these defensive nuances. You put it together, and, and again, you've got a guy who looks like a defensive center. You're listening and watching to Locked On Blue Devils here today. JJ Jackson spending some time with my buddy Brendan Marks of The Athletic. You could follow him on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. If you will, tell me a little bit about some of the recent stories that you've had out. I know that uh, Duke's general manager has gotten uh, on the forefront there at The Athletic. What else is in the news? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that, you know, this is something that probably Duke got a lot of credit for at the time and then people forgot about it. But, Um, Having a general manager, us at The Athletic, we were working on a series of stories this week about the future of college basketball. And the proliferation of that position is absolutely something that fits in that category. So um, Rachel Baker at Duke was first. And, you know, I I would encourage folks to go read my story to find out a little bit more about her background and what she does on a day to day basis and why it matters that she's there. But um, Duke, you know, definitely deserves, I think, a pat on the back for, for being forward looking and, you know, really just being innovative in that respect, being willing to try something different. As far as stuff coming down the pipeline, I I will tease that on Monday I've got a story that I think Duke fans will absolutely gobble up, Um, you know, something that 
I don't know that we've heard a lot about, but something that certainly Duke fans are well aware of. Um, that's as much as I'll say, but I think Epic. okay, coming Monday to the athletic, uh, definitely yeah. check it out. And, you know, there's, there, this is the time of year when I like to um, also start talking to NBA scouts and talking to NBA GMs and figuring out, you know, who stays and who goes. So look <laughs> for that in the next week or two as well. It's look, you just got to get through the weekend then. Yeah. Something big is coming on Monday. Just take some time, enjoy the weekend. And the next thing you know, it'll be Monday morning and we're reading your great work. Absolutely love that. All right, just a few more, Brendan, before we get out of here. So, um, talking about the Stuke basketball team in particular, we've talked a lot about several players on the team, uh, but one guy in particular that I want to spend more time on uh, as we wind down our conversation today is the Australian and Tyrese Proctor. From day one to here we are with five games left in the regular season, where was Tyrese Proctor? Where is he now? What can you tell me about the Aussie? So, you know, Tyrese is a, is a really interesting example. As Duke fans know, reclassifying guards don't always work out. Sure. Uh, and so <laughs> he's coming into a difficult situation. He, he gets to Duke a little bit late, comes in in end of August or so after the rest of the team's already been there for two months. And when he gets there, the immediate word out of Duke is this dude's going to set the league on fire. I voted him based on the strength of the intel that I received as ACC Newcomer of the Year. Um, that is not going to happen based on <laughs> what Kyle Filipowski has done. Um, but certainly there was a lot of hype and, and he struggled at the beginning of the year. And I was just like, I, why, you know, you heard such positive feedback. And I do think that for him, a lot of it was coming in late and needing to learn the rules of college basketball, kind of like lively, like that is the burden of consistently bringing in these high level recruiting classes is there is an adjustment period and it is inevitable and you can't avoid it, especially, you know, even for a guy like Paolo Bancaro last year, you know, it, come January, February, there was a period of games where he seemed to hit a proverbial quote unquote, you know, wall. No doubt. Um, and, and Tyrese's came earlier on, but what you're seeing now is the pace that he plays with is just remarkable. Um, especially in the pick and roll teams that play drop coverage against Duke. He is eating up that drop coverage <laughs> He is making smart decisions as a, as a shooter going for, you know, either mid-range jumpers or floaters or pull-ups. Um, as a passer out of the pick and roll, he's been exceptional, again, especially against that drop coverage. And I just think he's been a lot more composed running Duke's team. You know, him emerging has allowed them to shift Jeremy Roach off ball where he has been much more effective as a scorer. And, you know, I think there's this perception that Jeremy Roach needed to be the head of the snake because of last season. And, He's just so much better as a complimentary score than he is as a, a point guard one. And Proctor evolving into that role has had the ripple down effect of letting Jeremy play in a more natural position. So um, his development has been huge for Duke and for John Shire. And, and again, I said, like you mentioned, I think we're still continuing to see him get better and better as a shooter and uh, really as a decision maker overall. Yeah. Just seeing the three point number come up is, is so impressive. And, and when it was poor, when it was around that 22% range, we were pointing to, well, look, this guy's been between 80 and 92 or 88 and 92% from the free throw line the whole time. Clearly he can knock those down. The shots will fall at some point in the game earlier this week against Notre Dame with Duke up by two needing to go to the free throw line in a one in one scenario Proctor's there. There's a long review to know how much time is left on the clock. You worry that Reese Davis and Debbie Antonelli broadcasting the game are going to jinx them. Talking about this free throw and how great of a shooter you are. I'm an announcer myself. I get that. Uh, and the jinx that might be in place there. And yet he knocks him down. He's composed and uh, he's playing 35 minutes, uh, it seems, in, in all of these last few games. So, yeah, really, really impressed with what we're seeing out of Proctor, Brendan. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and look, like 
you know, it's almost a blessing in disguise for Duke fans that he struggled because I think it increases the opportunity for him to come back for a second season. Again, you know, that's a conversation for probably oh, yeah. later on down the road. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you start looking ahead and it's like, okay, this guy's developed. You know, it's he, it's obviously a different position, but trajectory-wise of when he sort of hit his stride and the impact he's making kind of reminds me of like late freshman season Mark Williams where, you know, you were like, you know, this guy, what is he doing? What is he doing? And then all of a sudden it's mid mid to late February. You're like, okay, this guy is essential to the team. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, obviously people saw what Mark was able to do with another full summer in terms of his growth. And again, different position, different things they're being asked to do. But, um, you know, I I think that Tyrese is on a similar growth trajectory. And like I said, you know, if he keeps, if he keeps growing that shooting number over the next month or so, you know, that's something else that can raise Duke's ceiling. Five games left in the regular season for Duke and then the ACC tournament. I am not speaking with Joe Lenardi, but I am speaking with Brendan Marks of The Athletic, whose opinion I greatly value. So with that being said, Brendan, where is Duke at right now? What are your expectations for these last five games? You don't need to go win-loss through all five of them, but just putting together what you think the Duke team is going to be on Selection Sunday, where ultimately do they fall out, you think? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I'll talk about it best in worst case scenario. Worst sure. case worst case scenario, Duke loses all five games, loses its first ACC tournament game. I, I think they're still probably a tournament team. Um, you know, wow. it would be close, obviously, but like some of these wins that they have have really aged well over time. Obviously, the metrics are a fan. Um, you know, being Duke, you know, it helps. It, yeah. it, it helps. It helps. Um, and so I do think, you know, obviously that would be a, a worst, worst case scenario. Losing to Louisville would be a real stain on the resume. But, you know, even if they split these last five games and, and lose in the first round of the ACC tournament, still, that's a tournament team to me. And, um, you know, probably one that's even avoiding the first round. Right now where they are is probably about a six or a seven seed, you know, maybe an eight seed in that six to eight range. Um, and I think that's probably fair given their body work and where they're at. Best case scenario, they win out and they go on a run and win the ACC championship. Then all of a sudden you're talking about a team that maybe gets up into that top four territory. You know, that's that's certainly on the table still as well. Um, seems unlikely to me, given their home and road tendencies and given <laughs> how they've matched up with some of the other teams in the ACC. Like, you know, if you get in trouble with like a Miami or a Virginia in the tournament, that would scare me if I'm a Duke fan. Um, but like I said, they, they are solidly in right now. It would take a real disaster um for them not to and you know right now probably six to eight could get as good as a four could fall as low as like a 10 or 11 12 but um you know again getting in the tournament i don't think is something the duke fans really need to be worried about right now it's just can we continue developing and getting better until then because once you get there depending on how the bracket shakes down this is a team that i think could you know make it to the second weekend and you know, from there, anything can happen. Amen. Greatly do appreciate the time here, Brendan. It's always great to have you here on the program. Thanks for stopping by. We'll do this again soon as March continues to get closer, okay? Absolutely. You know it, my friend. <laughs> That's my pal, Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Check out his work at Brendan R. Marks on Twitter and go get an athletic subscription. You won't regret it. I promise you that. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. As always, thank you for your support of what we're doing here. Subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get them. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe on YouTube and everything else that goes with it. That's going to do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. Best of luck to the Blue Devils tomorrow against Syracuse. We're back with you on Monday. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day. Good day.